Hello, and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to take what gets you worked up to find your passion, reach your potential, and write your own success story. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, business and career strategist. On this podcast, we talk to professionals from all walks of life, all backgrounds, and all industries to learn about how they've harnessed their passion to create success. On today's episode, we welcome Francis Fishman, CEO of The Playbase and Children's Behavioral Analyst. I wanted to have Frances on the podcast because not only is she an entrepreneur, but she is deeply ingrained in the world of human behavior. And at the end of the day, getting what you want in business and in your career comes down to the behaviors that you develop over time, the behaviors that you develop within an organization and a team, and the behaviors for which you advocate in an organization as well. We have to be so mindful so present with ourselves that we can feel intuitively, oh, that's going on outside of me. I can feel that. We cover a ton of topics on this podcast, the science of changing behavior, the importance of knowing your audience and shaping your communication to be heard. We talk about the links between thoughts, feelings, emotions, and behavior, and the illusion of control. Most of this conversation is really talking from the perspective of children, and it is all applicable to the workplace. Things like giving and receiving feedback, tapping into team motivation, employee motivation, and how to avoid sources of workplace conflict. Hope you enjoy. Let's jump in. We have a wonderful guest in studio today. My first guest coming back from maternity leave, spoiler alert, something I did not talk about on the podcast (laughs) up until now, but yes, I had a baby. Yes, he is two months old. And now we have Frances Fishman in the (laughs) studio, which is really exciting. What an honor. Thank you. Oh, well, I'm I'm really excited for this conversation because I think there's so many different angles we can talk about. And I have a feeling this conversation is going to go in a lot of different directions. So it's going to be a fun one. <laughs> Frances Fishman is the owner and CEO of The Playbase. She is a child behavioral analyst, and I want her to describe exactly what The Playbase does because it is very detailed and it seems very important. Um, and I want to make sure not to flub it up. So <laughs> take it away, Frances. Absolutely. So The Playbase offers applied behavior analysis services for children with any sort of behavioral, developmental, or neurodiverse needs, as well as consultation or training for parents. And we do professional development and training for therapists and educators because applied behavior analysis is really something that we use as parents. We just aren't mindful of it, that teachers use to manage behavior in a classroom that business owners use to manage their employees. It's actually, there's a whole realm of applied behavior analysis for business. I'm quite sure Google probably has the most brilliant behavior analyst working for them. Um, but yeah, we work specifically with children with behavioral, neurodiverse, or um, developmental needs. Oh, I already have so many questions to ask you <laughs> based on that. So, so first, can you define what you mean by 
Applied behavior analysis? Yes. Yeah. So applied behavior analysis is essentially the science of our behavior, how we learn to behavior, why we do the things we do, and how we can change behavior over time. So in parenting, you know that you are shaping behavior as a, as a parent. You are coaching, teaching, guiding your child to behave in a particular way, to show up in a particular way that honors them and their personality and their view of the world while also honoring the culture of your home and your family and all these different things. Mm. Um, Applied behavior analysis looks at the function of behavior, looks at the motivation behind behavior and how we can shape behavior over time. So concepts like reinforcement and punishment are behavior analysis. Concepts like motivation fall into behavior analysis Mm -hmm. um, and how they mix in together with you know, our attachment, our mental health, our neurodiversity, our view of the world, our culture, our upbringing, all those things kind of fuse together to shape the way in which we show up in the world. I love this for so many reasons, not least of which I I find myself often using parenting metaphors with a lot of my clients. So I'm an executive coach and a lot of that is focused on conversations, Mm -hmm. how to get what you want in the workplace, Mm -hmm. managing up, managing down, giving Mm -hmm. and receiving feedback, navigating complexity. And so much of that goes into parenting. Yes. So when you say professional development work, Mm -hmm. what does that actually look like? So... Uh, recently, for instance, I provided professional development at a nursery school or a preschool um, where I described essentially what I call the ABCs of behavior, helping the teachers understand what they're seeing, why they're seeing it, and how they can proactively put systems into their classroom while also understand how to react to situations. You know, one of my most important lines is that I say no behavior comes out of nowhere because it's probably the thing I hear the most Um, from parents, from educators, from therapists. I hear it all the time. It came out of nowhere. And I said, do you do anything for no reason? Do you do anything out of nowhere? Literally, nobody does anything out of nowhere and for no reason. Everything stems from whether it's something invisible that's going on internally or something very visible that's going on externally that causes a reaction or causes a behavior to either meet a need or express something or communicate something in a way that they find the most efficient. So in my professional development, depending on who we're doing it with, like I've done executive functioning for high school teachers. I've done um, ABCs of behavior, understanding the behavior of young children. And I've done it also for elementary school, understanding neurodiversity. Sometimes I'm going in and talking about some of the, some of the types of children that they might be seeing and how they're, you know, experiencing stimulation, how they might learn in a different way, how you can use different strategies to support them in their learning. Because, you know, I've seen students, for instance, who are being lectured to who need a visual, And without the visual, they're lost. And then the teacher's like, well, that's how I teach. And I said, but that's how she learns. So if you want her to learn, you're going to have to use another tool. It doesn't mean you change your whole teaching style. It just means you might need to provide her with a visual. In fact, I think if you had a visual to accompany your words, everyone would benefit. So you know, it's giving different strategies and tools to educators, to therapists. Um, and sometimes it's specific to a client or to a child. And sometimes it's more general and broad to education and at whole, at large. 
Yeah, I I use the tool in my coaching. So typically we we start with an assessment, mm-hmm. right? Now I am not a behavioral analyst, right? But it's an assessment that was made by them mm-hmm. and it looks at things like how you think, yep. how you behave, what are your motivations? So a lot of the things that it seems like your work taps into. Yep. And this particular tool that I use, it also looks at verbal and numerical fluency. Cool. And so that's really helpful to understand from the sense of, well, if you're really fluent in the language of numbers and you're explaining something to someone who isn't, Mm -hmm. draw them a picture. Yep. Write it down. Yep. How can you say it in the most simplest way possible? So it's so interesting because even in like just you saying that, my husband is so fluent in the language of numbers and I am so anxious around the the language of numbers. It like, oh, it scares me. And for him, I'm like, write it out for me. (laughs) Show me, (laughs) tell me in like a very simple way that I can process that information. Because for me, for you to say numbers in one ear, out the other, it's gone. That information is gone. Whereas for him, he remembers every number that's ever been said to him that he's seen. He knows the price of every single item he's purchased. He's like, how much was that? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember. Well, the same is true for words too, because think about it. How many people do you know who speak in this flowery language with these really big words? And Mm -hmm. you're like, what the hell are you trying to say? Just get to the point. Yep. Just say what you mean. And What's resonating so much with me about what you're talking about through your work is the focus on context, Yep. the focus on the audience mm-hmm. and the focus on the why. Absolutely. And one of, one of the things that my work taught me is that you don't communicate unless the person is able to receive that communication. Thank you. I did not pay her to say that people. (laughs) No, but it's true. And I say the same thing. Like I remember I volunteered in Israel at a organization called Save a Child's Heart. And at that organization, they have children from around the world who can't afford heart surgery, who come there and they get heart surgery for free. So those children, most of them didn't speak my language, which was English. Yeah. Um, But I had to find a way to communicate with them in a way that they could receive And what was interesting for me is that I was doing that in my work and I didn't realize that. And what my work taught me helped me in so many areas of my life. Like I don't say something unless it's in the heat of the moment and I didn't mean to, unless I've had enough thought behind how I'm saying it. And if the person who's receiving it can receive it in that moment, and if I'm saying it in a way that they can receive it, otherwise the communication is lost and there's no point of that communication. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I'm thinking as you're talking about, I've always had a natural, uh, a natural inclination toward communication, written and spoken. And that was always my thing, but I never really dissected it. And I never really thought about it until I found myself in the role that I'm in now Hmm. running a business, doing coaching and consulting work. And I do think when you examine something in that context, you're able to realize its applications more broadly than you might think. Absolutely. Which is, again, me using flowery language, like I just said not to use, but I can be very <laughs> verbose. So that's a long way of me saying it, it. You realize it doesn't just affect work. It affects your personal life. It affects how you communicate with your kids, which gets into what you do, how you communicate with your spouse, how you communicate with employees or partners or whatever the case would be. And I would love to dissect this with you. Absolutely. Because 
you started with the why. Mm -hmm. No behavior comes out of nowhere. Great line. Great line. I just had a baby, like I said, Mm -hmm. two months old. I have a two and a half year old. Out of the blue, he started pushing and hitting. Seemingly out of nowhere. Obviously, it's because there's a new baby at home. Yep. So, you know, what circumstances do you typically see or do you, what questions do you typically tell parents to ask or examine in terms of figuring out where the behavior is coming from? So the first question I might ask is when did the behavior start? Um, I want to know if there was an environmental change if there was something, because sometimes behaviors occur because of a medical issue Mm. or sometimes behaviors occur because something changed in the environment. And there's, you know, for instance, it's so common for the firstborn when a baby is brought home to start engaging in behavior because attention used to be undivided to me. Mm. And now I have to share with this guy. What do you mean? Hey, Hey, nobody's paying attention to me. Ooh, I found a really good way to get undivided attention. I know that if I cause chaos in some way, hit, scream, cry, throw, whatever, all eyes are on me. Full bodies are turned towards me. They're paying attention to only me. Aha. I got you. And that's subconscious. That is totally not like, you know, it's not like a 40 year old man's brain inside of there being like, ha ha, I got you. He's not, you know, like boss baby or whatever, but, (laughs) but he is finding a way to get most efficiently what he needs. And this is what he needs. He needs attention. So what I ask first is when did this behavior start? Did Mm -hmm. you notice something around that time? Maybe it was a transition Maybe, you know, sometimes children engage in behavior when there's a big transition because transitions, whether they're positive or negative, beautiful or challenging are always hard. All transitions are hard. That's what I say. Even if it's like the most exciting thing, excitement and stress actually feel the same in our body. Yes. If you think about what happens physiologically to your body when you're stressed, your heart rate escalates, you might be sweating, there's tension, it might be in your jaw, it might be in your shoulders, in your hands, wherever you carry that tension, you get your muscles become more tense when you're stressed and when you're excited. Like if you think about a little kid who's like, like they're so excited, their whole body is so tense. They have that tension, their heart rate is going up. It feels the same in our body. So even if it's something exciting... We have to find a way to transition. So what are, is it a transition? I'll give you an example. My daughter, my seven-year-old, I have three kids. My seven-year-old, when we immigrated from Toronto to South Florida, it was really hard on her. Yeah. And she went from this like beaming light to this anxious, uncertain little girl who For her, everything was new. Equally, everything was new to me and everything was new to all of us. But for her, she really, like her behavior had changed. And if I were to pinpoint what was that, what was that factor that changed it? It was that move and like stripping her of everything that she knew. So it's looking at, was there, was this always a thing? Like, did your, did this individual always engage in behavior this way or Is this something new? And if it's new, can you kind of pinpoint when it started? If it's something that's always been, 
that's different. Then it's not necessarily an environmental change that's occurred, but more so a way of being that this child has, or this individual has learned to cope with their environment, or maybe there's a neurodiversity there in the way that they receive information, process information, and maybe changing some of those proactively can support. So the first question is always, when did you start noticing this? Mm -hmm. Did you notice an increase or a decrease in intensity or frequency at any given point? Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, maybe he always, you know, would hit. But then once the baby came, now he's like throwing, and I'm not saying this is the case, but yeah. you know, now it's like so not much my more angel. <laughs> <laughs> now it's like so much more intense. So yeah. it's like, okay, well, there was this like learned way of getting what I need. And now that I'm not getting what I need in this way, now I'm going to up the ante and yeah. now I know a new way. So those are the kind, that's where I start. That's that would where be a start. starting point, point. Yeah. I had two conversations yesterday with clients that mm-hmm. factored into what you just said. Mm, interesting. The, the first was a client who launched her business two days ago. Wow. Congratulations to her. It's amazing. I'm so proud of her. If you're listening, I'm so proud of you. You know <laughs> who you are. And this idea of excitement and nerves feeling the same in your body. Mm-hmm. I just got the visual of her pressing publish on her website. Right. Right. I think so many people can re- resonate with that. Yeah. And I'm almost thinking about even my wedding day. I was so excited. And you're also anxious. Yep. For various reasons, you want things to go right, you don't. Or how about when you get a new job, you're starting a new job. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm also scared. Yeah. What if I don't do well? Yeah. Right? So those things do live side by side. Mm -hmm. I love, and I want to pivot, digging a little bit deeper into what you're getting at too, is understanding the why of behavior. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation yesterday where... An individual is in a situation where he's between two colleagues and doesn't necessarily know the motivation for what's going on. And it's like, I'm just focused on the results. And we had to take a step back and think, well, think about it from this other person's perspective. Yep. What's going through their head? And it was like a light bulb went off. So in the workplace, you can see that with people all of a sudden becoming competition. Yep. For a new role. Mm -hmm. You can see it with oh, well, I've been doing this job for a really long time and then you're hiring someone to sit aside me. Are you telling me I'm not good enough for this job? And then all of a sudden you start acting out, right? And so I love this concept of asking yourself why the person across the table from you or why the person you're dealing with is acting the way that they're dealing because that is so informative in terms of how you talk to them and how you approach a potential conversation. Yeah. And I want to tell you that dealing with adults is so much more complex than dealing with children because adults have, depending on their age, 30, 20, 40, 50 plus years of learning Mm. how to engage with the world and learning ideas and concepts of the world and looking at the world through those lenses that you may not see the world through those lenses. You may not understand those concepts. You may not have experienced that trauma or that understanding of people and social dynamics where, and cultural things also like, you know, coming from different parts of the world or from different cultures might have you see things through a different lens and then understanding those things and how they impact the way somebody is engaging with you and understanding. First of all, most of the time, what we actually experience in a social dynamic isn't personal. Mm. It's actually like somebody else's stuff that they're working through and that you are either 
bringing out or triggering or showing them and that they are, if there's a, you know, a conflict and an engagement, yes, you have to look at your own place in, in that, like, what did I do? What was my motivation? What was my thinking behind it? But equally, like what, like you said, like what is going on on the other side and what did I bring out in that situation for that person? And so in therapy, we think about it that way, where as a therapist, for instance, we have to be so mindful, so present with ourselves that we can feel intuitively, oh, that's going on outside of me. I can feel that. There is a science of energy that we can just feel other people's energy and not yeah. necessarily be aware that it's not ours. Right. And we're holding on to this feeling and it might be a negative or a positive one and being aware that, oh, oh, that's not me. What is that? Where's that coming from? And how can I maneuver and, and work through this situation yeah. with ease, honoring myself while also honoring the person in front of me? That's why I love the question, what's actually in your control here? Mm -hmm. And I swear, I probably bring that up 20 times a day. What can yeah. you actually, what are your options? You can go off in a million different tangents in a million different directions well, this might happen and that might happen and da, 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 da. Okay. What are your choices right now? What yeah. can you control and what can you actually impact? You know what I teach kids? What? Sometimes we can't even control our own behavior or our emotions, but we can control our breath. And if we control our breath, we can then gain control of our thoughts and our emotions and then control our behavior. But otherwise there's literally nothing on this planet we can control. That's what I tell them because in the end I have control over what I do. And if I lose control of my emotions, I no longer have conscious control of what I do Yeah, because now I'm in fight or flight. My amygdala, my emotional brain is taking over and I actually don't have control over what I do. Now it's my nervous system is responding, but if I can control my breath, I can center myself. I can, pay attention to what my, my conscious brain is telling me, what my intuition is telling me. Now I can act from a place of consciousness and then I can have control. If I'm going to go into an emotional spiral, mm, the tailspin. Yeah. I, I, I'm out of control. I know a lot of adults who need that advice. I know every adult needs that <laughs> advice, including myself. Me, I was just about to say myself included because in the end, like one of the things I've learned in my own growth and healing journey is that control is something that is a figment of our imagination. Yes. We have no control over what anyone else does as much as we try and we could try really hard. We can only create an environment. We can only set the table, but we can't make anyone. I mean, you can force feed somebody, but you can't make them eat, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Exactly. You can set it all up, but in the end, the only thing you can control is your own breath. And then once you can control that, once you gain control of your nervous system, that's when you can control your behavior. What's so great about that is I find myself in conversations daily, easily daily, where it's all about communication, mm -hmm. whether it's feedback, whether it's a difficult conversation at work, asking for a promotion. 
You don't control the outcome. That's right. You don't control how your words land on somebody. You can make an informed decision mm-hmm. on what words to cho- to use yep. and what tone to have based on your audience. Know your audience, right? Yep. Which is a big theme of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You only can control the words that come out of your mouth, the tone of voice, and your body language. Yep. And you can only really control that if you control your nervous system. Because if you go in there and you're so anxious, you're probably going to say things or not say things that you wish you said or didn't say and vice versa. And something that came to mind as you were speaking also was, I think my husband was the one who, who has said this to me many times is, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Wayne Gretzky. Yes. A hundred percent of the shots you don't take as a Canadian. Yes. Well, that one I know for sure. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that saying. But it's true. Like in terms of if you're going to, to take the action to, you know, you heard something inside of yourself or you know you need something or you're going to advocate for yourself in a way, bring yourself to a place where you are informed who you're speaking to, like you said, who is your audience, you know, my, like I've also heard when you know the game now, you know how to play it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something that is hard for me that like, when you know the game, you know how to play it because I don't, I don't like to think in that way. Yeah. I prefer to just, I don't like to play a game. I just, I just want to show up as me. And even when I interview people, I tell them, this isn't about you getting the job. This is about us having a conversation. I'm interviewing you as much as you're interviewing me because you want to not land a job. You want to find yourself in the right place. And I said, I know what it feels like to work somewhere that is not the right place. And that doesn't feel good. No, it does not. So I said, when you, when you're in this interview, this isn't about you performing for me. This is about you showing up authentically as you so that we can both decide if this is the right place, because I need to find the right people. I don't want to find performers. Right. I want to find people who are, this is where they're meant to be. And this is their calling. And this is, you know, the play base is what speaks to their heart and soul. And this is what they need. And I have found those people. But I've also interviewed people who were reading responses off of Google. And I'm like, ooh, you don't need to do that, though. It's about fit. Yeah. I, I don't need to know that you know the textbook. Right. I need to know who you are. And so... I mean, I'm sure there are many employers who aren't that way, but that's how I interview. And that's how I've always gone into interviews as well is I'm going to show up as me. I'm going to do research on who I'm, you know, interviewing with. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to figure out, you know, through their websites or I guess now it'd be social media. But at the time when I was interviewing, it was through their websites, figuring out what they stand for. Mm -hmm. And does that align with me? And I remember people being like, do research and figure out who you're speaking to so that you can touch on those things that they value. And I'm like, well, I'll touch on those things if I value them too. Well, you know what's interesting about that? That requires somebody to be introspective and -hmm. to have taken the time to know who they are and what they value, which I'm, I was one of these people. I did not do that until I was well into my thirties. You know, I had a, a general sense, yep. but I'd never really taken a step back and thought about it, nor had I ever put pen to paper. Oh, that I need to do with the pen to paper. Yeah, we can talk. <laughs> but in terms of playing the game, which is something I hear so often, 
I don't like to think of it as playing a game because I think that sounds manipulative. Yes. Right. I think it's about acting, acting ethically Mm -hmm. and making smart decisions, making strategic decisions. Smart. Yeah. I like that. That lands a lot better in, in my body for sure. Like I know in the same way that I don't communicate something unless I think it will be well received, which then makes me come off sometimes as like passive and quiet Mm. um, because I'm processing information and maybe to someone that makes it unclear what's really going on internally. But for me, that communication to be received is so important. And so maybe it falls kind of in there as well, where you want to make sure that what you're expressing will be received in the way that that person can receive it. And maybe that's about the same idea of playing the game or. See where my head went with that is, are you holding back because you're processing information or are you holding back because of some judgment, whether it's self-judgment or judgment from the other person? I think it depends. I think uh, depending on the safety of a situation, how safe I feel to to share whatever that is. Um, And equally, whether I think it's possible for that person to to receive what I, what I have to say, because if it's not, what's the point? It's like when people see red, there's no point. You can't rationalize with an irrational person. Yeah. And I mean, when you're dealing with people's children, totally you're, and this is something that I train my therapists on is how you communicate. Like you can't, I had, had somebody tell me at a camp that what my child did was weird. And I was like, if you worked for me, that word would never leave your mouth because so much judgment in that word. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean weird? You don't say that to a, to a parent. No. Like you just don't. You might say, I noticed this and leave space for them to share. And without a judgmental word, you express what you observed or what's going on and what you're doing about it. Not leaving it at, yeah, it was weird. Oh, that is so applicable to giving feedback. Yes. Because where a lot of leaders or managers fall short is they put judgment on something and they're not clear in what they saw. So if you focus on, I noticed this action or Mm -hmm. I noticed this behavior, I noticed this event Mm -hmm. and then ask a question. Yep. What happened? always how how can we address that high school teacher taught me to assume is to make an ass out of you and me I love that and it's like never assume always ask even with kids don't assume you know ask like we even had at the dinner table yesterday I was like ask instead of assume that this child's trying to be annoying just ask why well and it also goes back to what's the point of you talking right there's an intentionality behind every word that comes out of someone's mouth on some level. Yeah. So what is the purpose of saying it's weird? Are you trying to alert? I'm assuming, are you trying to alert, right? I'm Mm -hmm. making an ass out of you and me, but (laughs) are you trying to alert the parent to some questionable behavior that you're concerned about? Is there a concern? If there's a concern then say it. Yeah. I noticed something out of the ordinary. Yeah. Or I noticed so-and-so did this. 
how typical is that behavior for this child? Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to pretend I'm a child specialist because I'm not by any You're stretch of the imagination. Every parent ends up being a child specialist. <laughs> that is, that is fair. Um, but you brought up the idea of authenticity mm-hmm. when people interview with you mm-hmm. and there's a lot of research on authenticity, especially because there's so much about emotional intelligence that's buzzing around the business world right now. The best definition that I've found is aligning your actions with what you say. So say what Beautiful. you do and do what you say. Oh, that's what I train parents to do. That's what I say always. How? How do I train that? Yeah. I say, you don't let something leave your mouth unless you're willing to follow through with it. So parents often do the the magic of an empty threat, hoping that that makes mm-hmm. a child not do the thing they don't want them to do or makes them do the thing that they want them to do. But if that child realizes at any point that that was an empty threat, you're shit out of luck. And that child is never going to do what you want them to do because your words now mean nothing. Right. Your words are empty. And I wouldn't choose to use a threat anyways, but, or, or a fake um, reinforcer, like a fake reward. What does that look like? So like, oh, if you do so-and-so or you do this or that, then we'll go to Disneyland or something. Well, are you really going to go to Disneyland if they do that? And when are you going to go to Disneyland? And is that a really appropriate reward for what you're asking them to do? Those are kinds of things. Or if you do this again, then you'll never get to watch TV ever again. Well, that's just not true. Like they, they really will watch TV again. That threat means nothing because there's nothing tangible yeah. or real behind it. So when you use your words, you have to mean what you say and say what you mean and otherwise don't say. Like really be conscious of the, the language you use because otherwise your words end up being like dust in the air. They mean nothing. It makes me think, you know, typically, I don't want to, there's nothing that's common, but... Typically, you often have one parent that is more emotional than another parent or one parent that demonstrates more anger than another. And when I was growing up, I had one parent who would often yell Mm -hmm. and one parent who never yelled. Same. But when my dad yelled, I knew he meant business. It was scary. My dad yelled one time and I still to this day, I laughed because I was so, what just happened? Like flabbergasted. Yeah. And we all, rem- like, I remember exactly where it was. Like, I even shared the story with my husband. I, like, I was like, that one time my dad yelled, I was like, <laughs> what just happened? So I, I personally have a very long fuse. And I, my husband says he's seen me yell four times in our relationship. Oh, no, I yell at my kids <laughs> and it's terrible. I can be short. That doesn't mean I'm not short. He said to me that it's often scarier when I'm calm. Ooh. <laughs> Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe I need to ask him about that. Maybe I need to <laughs> dig into that. But the, what you're getting at, and, you know, we're joking about it, is this, you know, how can you tell someone means what they say? Yeah. And the tone matters so much. The body language matters so much. I always use the example of shut up. If you tell someone like, shut up. Yeah. That is so different than shut up. Yes, of course. Right? Yep. 
Speaking of 90210, we were just talking about 90210. But I want to I want to ask you about your journey in entrepreneurship. Sure. Because you own a business and mm-hmm. you hire people like we've talked about mm-hmm. and you just moved from a completely different country. Yeah. So how did you get into what you're doing now? I got into it because um, when I graduated from my psychology degree, I found a job entitled therapist and I didn't need my PhD for it. So I was like, Ooh, I've always wanted to be a therapist. (laughs) I applied for the job and it changed my whole life. Oh, wow. Um, I eventually about seven years later became a behavior analyst myself and in the process learned that most people do ABA differently than me. So I decided I can't be a behavior analyst and not really know how to do this. I went and I worked for another organization and learned this other method called discrete trial training, which is what everyone thinks applied behavior analysis is, um, or it's the association people have made. I did that for about a year and it did not feel good in Why? my body. Um, the approach is very rigid. It's very scripted. It's very boxed in. Children learn to be more compliant and robotic than they learn to figure out who they are in this world and how they want to show up and what brings meaning to their life. And it just didn't feel good to me to, to do that. So by the way, I know I'm interrupting you. You and I are very aligned philosophically. Oh, beautiful. I I can already tell about facilitating self-awareness and coming from a place of understanding you and It's the most important thing. You know, I think being an empathetic people pleaser my whole life. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. I learned to shut my own wants and needs down so much to meet everyone else's that it's so important to me that somebody else knows themselves. And not that I don't know myself, but that my priorities have always been making sure everyone else has what they need. Yeah. And so it's been something so important to me to teach children to understand themselves and what they need in a way that I learned as an adult and that I'm I'm still very much learning. Aren't we all? Yeah, very much. So it's like it became a part of the play base as I grew into learning this part of myself. Mm-hmm. It became something I realized was a part of what didn't feel good about what I was doing. It wasn't something I was so aware of immediately. I knew it didn't feel good in my body. I knew I would come home crying. And my husband was like, well, if this doesn't feel good, do what you've always wanted to do. Start your business. And so it was with his support and his blessing and his push that I started the play base. And I started in Toronto, funny enough, eight years ago. And, um, quit my job, gave my, gave my, my two weeks notice. And then my last week of work started feeling sick. And I was like, Oh, what's going on? Turns out I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What timing? Yeah. So I, um, I quit my job to start my business and found out I was pregnant all around the same time. So I was having two babies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that happened to me. Oh my gosh. So I finished my training for coaching in June, July. Yeah. June, July launched my business in July. Found out I was pregnant in September. Oh, well, 
we're, we were in the exact same boat. <laughs> I remember working with kids directly and having like this massive belly and being like, I need to hire more people fast. <laughs> well, there's nothing like a, a, a self-serve sense of urgency. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I ran that business, um, and still running in Toronto. Um, I have an incredible team there. Like I am so incredibly grateful to this and these beautiful people who are doing, um, like the most meaningful work in my opinion. Um, I think in theirs too, and I hope in our clients' eyes too, the most meaningful work. And, um, we moved here last July, so it'll be a year very soon. Um, we just celebrated our visa, getting our visa last week. Congratulations. Thank you. Last week was one year since we got our visa and yeah, we moved here. We brought our three children and our dog. We moved here to expand the play base and it's been a year of learning a whole new language a year and not because I don't speak English, (laughs) (laughs) but because I think we share the English language, but so much is, yeah run differently and works differently here. And it was about, you know, from figuring out where the grocery store was to figuring out how I'm going to hire people and learning the difference between, oh, LinkedIn works really well in Toronto and indeed did not work well for me in Toronto and vice versa here, Mm -hmm. you know, learning insurance, which is insurance. (laughs) That's a whole beast. I had to learn so many different things and, you know, I have an established business, but I'm starting a brand new version of it. And it's like every step that I had to take had like 10 micro steps that I had to then be like, Oh, and now I need to figure all these out. Um, and I think that's just the nature of starting a business in general. Um, I just started in a country that I never lived in in a place I never lived in and had to figure that piece out at the same time while navigating, you know, our family, like the marriage, what happens when you're immigrating your children, what happens when they leave everything and everyone they know and how you manage yourself when you're doing that while equally trying to build your business. So it was just lots of moving pieces this past year. Navigating change. Yes. Francis, I have so many questions to ask you based on that. <laughs> I'm looking at the time. And I cannot believe how quickly this has flown. Oh my gosh. I want to have you back. With pleasure. Because A, this has been incredibly fun. And B, I want to dig into the navigation of change. Let's do it. So that's wonderful. We'll figure it out. But before we go, Mm -hmm. I want to ask two questions. Sure. One, I guess, is a little teaser for the next episode (laughs) forthcoming. You navigated a lot of change. Mm -hmm. to come here and to expand the business in launching your business. You deal with kids on a daily basis who may find struggle in transition and Mm -hmm. or change. What advice would you give to somebody listening to this who's either navigating a very complex environment, complex change right now in their life, Mm -hmm. or struggles with some element of transition? I would say the most important thing you need to learn about yourself or about anyone you're supporting through change is what helps them feel safe and calm. What different things would it be, you know, elimination of sensory stimulation? Would it be 
Do they need to co-regulate with somebody? Do you need to like hug somebody and feel somebody safe around you? Do you need quiet in the absence of light? Do you need music? What are the different things that you use to regulate your nervous system? Mm. Because when you learn that and when you are able to learn the introspection to know what you need in a moment, you can give yourself what you need or you can give somebody else what they need if you know. And so when navigating change, it's accepting things are going to be hard. You just never know what that means. And like we knew immigrating, we're like, oh, this is going to be hard. You don't know what that means. Like, what does the hard really feel like? What is it going to be? You have no idea. And so it's that uncertainty, the unknowing of what you have to navigate, but the knowing that you have the toolbox, the tools to be able to navigate anything, the confidence to know that you have the support system. So what is your support system? Who is that? How do you access that? So I used to drive to my mom's house. Now I call her on the phone. I, you know, I still call my friends. I have an, an app that I use with my friends every day. Like, how do you access your support system? Do you know what you need? Do you know what they need? And how do you make that accessible? Who are the people that are actually supportive versus you think are supportive? It makes things worse. Yes. Oh, that's a big, that's a big lesson to learn. That's a really big one. That's great advice. Yeah. All right. Next question. Take this however you will, however it lands on you, whatever it means to you. Okay. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? That's a great question. I wish that I knew back then and I wish that I would still remember sometimes that I will get through absolutely every single hurdle life will ever throw at me and that I am so much stronger than I ever thought I was and that Every single experience is an opportunity to learn and grow. That's something I know. The things I said at the beginning are things that I have to remind myself still. But I know that every single thing that I experience and every single challenge or positive is an opportunity to learn and grow. And that's like a huge philosophy of mine. I know that I'm here to learn and grow. I know that I'm here to do big things and to help people. And so I'm always like, okay, does it have to be this hard <laughs> to learn and grow always? But I think, you know, really embracing the fact that every single opportunity we have on this planet is a growing and learning opportunity. And to embrace that is, that's where magic can happen. That's where change can happen in a beautiful way. And it sounds like you're also talking about t- acknowledging that you can take care of yourself. Yeah. You've done it in the past and you can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Francis, this has been really fun. You're going to be back, so it's not goodbye. It's see you next time. (laughs) Can't wait. I also, I have so many ideals swirling in my head about what we can do together. But um, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It was so nice. It really was. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. And please follow us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting. Email us at info at JacquelineBeckConsulting.com and check out our website, www.JacquelineBeckConsulting.com. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-B-E-C-K. Look out for new episodes dropping weekly and we look forward to talking to you soon. Tune in next time.